Welcome to the Answering Religious Era show. My name is Brian Garlock. So glad you could join us today. It is Wednesday, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, and that is when we go live for our live Bible Q&A. If you have a Bible question, we'd encourage you to send it in now. You can email us questions at answeringreligiousera.com. Again, that's questions at answeringreligiousera.com or private message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash answeringreligiousera. Those are the two best ways to get a hold of us. If you want your Bible question answered by us, you're going to have to email us or private message us on our Facebook page. Uh, we do sometimes see the comments on the shared videos, but we have a lot of shared videos going out, and so we don't always uh, get to see those questions. So if you have not had your question answered, we would encourage you to email us or private message us on our Facebook page. Uh, let's bring up the panel, get to know the men who are going to be answering the questions today. we got Nick, who's filling in for us, Mark Dunnigan, who's uh, always on the show, and uh, encourage you to check out his uh, podcast every Monday through Friday at 5 a.m. Eastern Time. It's called the Daily Answer Podcast, and that's with Mark Dunnigan as your host. And uh, you have a lot of Bible questions, or you just have a lot of life questions. And uh, Mark has the answer every single morning, 5 a.m. Eastern Time, for about 15, 20 minutes of your of your start of your day. And then we got Terry Bitten and then Brian Haynes. Guys, good to see you today. And uh, looking, forward, you. looking forward to the show as well. All right. Uh, Again, this is our live Bible Q&A, but let's have a word of prayer. And uh, Brian Haynes, let's start with you. Yeah, would you join me in prayer? Most holy God and Father in heaven, we come before you in prayer, uh, soliciting, Father, that you might be uh, mindful of us at this time as we study your word, that uh, we might have a good recollection of the things that have been studied and uh, to prepare to be ready with an answer as you have commanded us to be, Father. Uh, ask your blessings upon uh, the places where we labor, Father, that... that uh, that we might be good stewards of all the things that we have been blessed with and that those who listen in today might be blessed, Father, to understand your will a bit better. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Uh, this is our live Bible Q&A. If you have a Bible question, again, email us questions at answeringreligiouserror.com. Uh, but first, it is meantime. All right, today's meme is going around on social media, and this is actually, uh, we have it labeled right here where it's coming from, the, the United Church of Christ. Um, I will say uh, at the get-go here that we are all Christians, everyone on this panel, and we are all members uh, of a local Church of Christ somewhere uh, here in America, but we are also a, a, a member of the Lord's body, the, the Church of Christ, and uh, the one we can read about in Scripture. We are not affiliated with the United Church of Christ, uh, the, this uh, denomination here. Uh, but this is a meme going around, and it's been going around for about seven years, I think is when it was last posted. But uh, sometimes you'll see it floating around, so we want to deal with it. Because here is a, a church who claims to be of Christ, to belong to Christ, who says the Bible is like GPS, a brilliant guide, all-knowing, occasionally wrong and uh, well, we think this meme is wrong, so we want to uh, we want to deal with it. Uh, Mark Dunnigan, I'm going to start with you. Interesting, all knowing, occasionally wrong. I don't think that goes together. If something's yeah. all knowing, how can it be occasionally wrong? Uh, I don't. So, someone doesn't know the definition of one of those terms there. Um, the other thing, Brian, is who determines when it's occasionally wrong like okay so that means that the bible's not the final authority jesus said in matthew 28 18 all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth and he said in john 12 48 his word would judge us in the last day he spoke of scripture as thy word is truth john 17 17 and then the psalmist, the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 128 said that they consider God's word as truth in all things, all things, every area. It's truth. And so I'm kind of going like, okay, so we got this group out here called the United Church of Christ. And they're saying, yeah, it's, it's brilliant, but, you know, it's occasionally wrong. So it means that they must have some authority over the Bible that would tell us when it's occasionally wrong. Well, who is that? I guess that would be man, some man or group of men. So, so I'm going to trust a group of men over scripture. Uh, Brian, I, I really appreciate the meme from the standpoint. I think it kind of takes the mask off 
because I think there are right. denominations that over the years have tried to get a, who claim, well, we believe the Bible. We believe the Bible. But then they will say, well, but we don't believe that the flood of Noah was universal, but that's mm -hmm. interpretation. That's interpretation. We don't believe in, in the days of Genesis being days. That's interpretation. Or Paul said, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, homosexuals, among others, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's, that doesn't really mean that. It's interpretation. This meme seems to indicate that they kind of toss that out and say, no, no, it's never has been about interpretation. We just don't agree with what that verse says, period. And so maybe it's like, okay, United Church of Christ, thanks for telling us who you are. That is, you put yourself over the Bible. All right. Yeah, excellent, excellent thoughts. Amen. Can you imagine Psalm one uh, nineteen verse one fifty two saying, "Concerning your testimonies, I have known of old that you have founded most of them forever." Or him saying in verse uh, one sixty. Instead of the entirety of your word is truth and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever, it would read, most of your word is truth and most of your righteous judgments endures. What a, what a perversion. And Jesus would come behind all of that and say in his own day, that man should not live by bread alone, but by most of the words that come out of the mouth of God. No, he wouldn't say that. He would say, out of every every word that comes from the mouth of God. He affirms the entirety of God's word is truth. So that would mean then that the United Church of Christ has certainly got some things wrong and a lot of work to do. You know, it's, um, we mentioned just a moment ago the kind of the background of the United Church of Christ. It is a human denomination. I think it was established back in the 50s or 60s. It comes from the old congregational churches, which uh, uh, if you know much about American history, you know, these were the Puritans that came uh, early in the 1600s uh, to looking for religious freedom. So there's kind of a great irony there uh, of their connection to a group of people that would have just been disgusted by a statement like this. Although, to be honest, um, I think that it's worth considering that even though uh, only the UCC is bold enough to say this, any man-made denomination is looking at the Bible uh, from a perspective of it's kind of right. Um, uh, in the case of the UCC, though, I would say they're not even looking at it like a GPS. Uh, they're looking at it like a backseat driver that they're not listening to. Um, it isn't as though they're just picking one or two things that they don't like in the Bible and uh, saying they're wrong. Um, they're, as a denomination, they tend to reject uh, a great majority of the things that the scriptures have to say. Uh, frankly, uh, you probably are talking about, can I say 60 or 70 percent that they don't believe are accurate, true, or uh, have any kind of impact with us today. So frankly, uh, as Mark said, this is a telling meme when somebody says we just don't live by the Bible if you look up uh, what the UCC actually has to say, they uh, they have a very disrespectful view towards the word of God. And it's not unique. A lot of denominations, or can I just say any denomination uh, of man, any denomination that has a doctrine of man uh, is looking at the Bible as though it's just a recommendation and not the word of God. Right. Amen. And I like this question. And Mark Dungan kind of touched on this. Who decides which parts are wrong? That's a great question to ask here because... They're making themselves the authority. They're making themselves God. Mark, did you have another comment you wanted to make? Yeah, it's just, I think Brian touched upon it, is that they're trying to sneak in. Well, yeah, you know, we accept most of it, just occasionally. And the, the reality is, as Brian noted, the reality is that they reject most of it. Yeah. <laughs> and not only that, but can we, can we get down now to the real heart here is that, I mean, Jesus identifies himself with Scripture. Thy word is truth. So United Church of Christ, you just have to come clean and say, Jesus, like a GPS, brilliant guide, occasionally wrong. You're really going to have to, because that's who you're dealing with here. Right. Who, who's, the, who's, who's the author behind scripture? So it's, uh, yeah, they're putting themselves, they're putting themselves as head over all things to the church and not Jesus. And uh, they're trying to steal his bride. 
Yeah, good good and, comment. And then also I want to add uh, Colton, who's producing the show in the background. He added this note here. He said, if he is all-knowing, that means he knows he is wrong and intentionally giving the wrong answer or truth. I think it's a really good comment. Uh, what you got there, Nick? Yeah, so uh, Mark Dunnigan mentioned about the author of the Bible. You go to John chapter 16 and verse 13, and Jesus tells the apostles, he says that, when, when uh, he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. And we see that being uh, fulfilled through the New Testament. We see the apostles, the first century prophets writing, and Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 4 that what he has written, you can read and know the mystery of God. And so it is uh, without any doubt that the scripture is authoritative. It is uh, genuine, and we do well to heed what it says, because Jesus would say in John 12, 48, that the words that he has spoken will judge us in the end. Yeah. Good comments there, guys. All right. Appreciate uh, those uh, those answers. And uh, if you see a meme like this going around Facebook, we'd appreciate you send it in to us. Email us questions at answeringreligiousera.com, or you can uh, private message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash answering religious error. All right. The first question of the day is a question we uh, dealt with last week that was sent into us. Um, but we wanted to go a little, a uh, little further with it. Uh, we had, uh, if you remember from last week, we had talked about maybe some ways to handle the situation, but I, I do want to give justice to the question for the questioner uh, who sent it in, uh, who says, is it wrong for a woman to speak up slash make an announcement in a Sunday or Wednesday service? If the male announcing ask if there are any further announcements and we the panel had mentioned that um you know or here's some here's some ways to handle that uh to keep that uh indecency in order and such but we are concerned about hey we want to see if it's wrong and maybe the accurate question is to ask is is it right for these uh, these things to take place but uh so let's uh, let's open it up to the panel again and and try to go a little further with this question brian hands which what you got for me so 1 Corinthians chapter 14 uh, gives us the statement uh, in verse 34, let women keep silent in the church. They're not permitted to speak. Um, let's set the context. 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about the assembly that going back to chapter 11 begins with the uh, assembling for taking the Lord's Supper. Most of us usually use the term worship to describe that, um, uh, that we just kind of describe an assembly surrounding the Lord's Supper um, that at that time uh, accomplishes that. And we say outside of that assembly, that this statement of women not speaking isn't uh, isn't necessarily have the same weight or the same idea. Although First Timothy chapter two does uh, give us some other restrictions or some other thoughts as well. Are the announcements part of worship? Well, we usually say no. We usually say that while they're given at a time that is convenient, they're not necessarily part of worship. So probably most of us, and I, and I say this carefully because uh, maybe somebody would disagree, but probably most of us would say if announcements aren't part of the worship, then women keeping silent isn't uh, a part of the command applied to them. Now, that being said, Brian also brought up uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse uh, 40, which talks about all things being done decently and in order. And in that statement, it's telling us everything is to be done in a way that has decorum and such. And one important idea might be the idea, not so much the idea of whether women speak or not during the announcements, whether or not it's actually decently in order for anybody to be uh, shouting out uh, 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 such. I know, um, and Mark mentioned this last time, and it's a really good point. One of the big mistakes a lot of times I think people make in giving announcements, again, just a tradition. It's not scriptural. It's just a tradition. It's an authorized tradition because we need to share information, to pray for one another, to accomplish uh, purposes we have, and we use that as the expedient time to do so. But the point is that uh, in that time, uh, you know, it's it's always a bad habit when somebody says, are there any other announcements? It's an invitation for people, especially spiritually mature people, maybe unbelievers who can uh, jump up and make comments at that time, thus causing problems to the need for decency and in order. Uh, I think it's a great habit when we don't ask that question, whenever we uh, stick to what we have and we try to keep things brief. Um, and that might be the consideration we ought to have, not so much whether or not it's appropriate for women or for as much as for anybody uh, to be jumping up, and that that ought to be applied to the idea of doing all things decently and in order. All right, appreciate that. And uh, to the questioner, if you need any more clarification, let us know, and we'll be sure to give you that. All right, next question that we have for today, uh, why were James and John called sons of thunder? 
Uh, well, according to the chosen, what's the answer according to the chosen, Nick? What you got for that? Do you watch the chosen, Nick? I didn't did I was I having this conversation with you, or was that someone else? I think you might have had it with somebody else. Oh, um, my bad. But uh, according to the chosen, uh, they were in uh, Samaria, and James and John wanted to uh, punish the Samaritans <laughs> for for their insolence, and uh, and Jesus had to call them out on that and call them sons of thunder. But um, someone someone else might want to take the scriptural approach to, to that one instead of the chosen approach. Yeah. Anybody? I think it was in the context, they were just really uh, seemingly hot-headed, And so explosive might be the, the idea. Sons of thunder is that you're responsible. They wanted to uh, these people to be condemned, that fire be sent down from heaven. And, and so in that context, I think that that's always what I thought is that they had just had an, had a thunderous, uh, uh, scary outlook that um, that wanted uh, a quick response from heaven on these evil people. All right. Anyone else before we move on? Brian, and I think in that context, I mean, initially, they, they were upset that Jesus was not being treated with respect, the, the respect that was due him, that the Samaritans were kind of ignoring him. And the, this is the son of God. And, and they wanted to, shall we call down fire from heaven and consume them? And <laughs> I wanted to do that too. Just a heads up there. Yep, yep. There have been times I wanted to call, call down fire. But Jesus said, Jesus said, um, he rebuked them and said, I haven't come to destroy man's lives, but to save them. Now, fire is going to come down from heaven, though, in the end. Okay, so just. A heads up there. And that now is the opportunity to get your life right, from, right with God. But Jesus is going to show up with his angels in flaming fire. Brian, Brian, there's one thing I'd like to comment on one thing that you said. And I, I haven't, I don't maybe I might have watched a, a tad bit of The Chosen. Just a heads up that someone said to me. And they said, with 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 shows like that, and, and I'm glad they're out there. I'm glad the life of Christ is being dealt with. But Man, you got to be careful at times, I think, with when you watch something like that and they kind of take some poetic license and picture Matthew or whoever in a certain light, that you make sure that you don't fit that into your understanding of Scripture. That I guess we need to be really careful with speculation. I saw this years ago when my kids were watching Superbook and we asked our, our youngest daughter, who was in the garden? And she said, Adam and Eve and Gizmo. And, and it was like, okay, okay, no, no, no gizmo in the garden. So I think I think it's important that when you watch a show, it, it's it's so easy to watch a show about the Bible or even things like the Ten Commandments without mm -hmm. paying attention to the text, and all of a all of a sudden take the poetic license in the movie and make it part part of your Bible story in your head when it's nowhere in the text. So I, I think that's the importance of just reading through the scriptures every year to make sure you haven't added any anything there that's really not in the text. Yeah, especially, with the, remember the movie uh, Noah's Ark that came out years ago, and I think they had like rock people or something in it. Do y'all remember that scene? And I was like, what in the world? And the, But the thing about it is millions of people will watch that movie who have never read the text or have only read it as a child and think there's rock people in in scripture. And so, yeah, it, just, it does make it more uh, mythical sounding. All right. I uh, appreciate the question. Our next question that we have for today. Are there any verses on or in the New Testament on parents loving their children? Yeah, I think there is. Uh, Terry, what you got for me? Well, Galatians, uh, Romans chapter one talks about people that don't have natural affection. Um, and so that would be one thing that they're unloving of course the principle of love uh applies across the board doesn't it that you should love your neighbor as yourself and uh, even if your neighbor in this case is your child that would that would that principle would guide across that as well so yes there uh every verse on love applies to parents loving their children and then of course uh, you've got natural affection Though that that which is uh, developed because of inherent kinship, 
so that Romans chapter one would address that. And there, yeah, there are other passages, but I think that's that's enough to answer that question. All right. Uh, here's one uh, from uh, Becky here, Titus uh, two. And in verse four, appreciate that, uh, Becky. All right, anyone else on this? Uh, Mark, you want to bring out any applications? Well, you know, Becky's verse is a good verse because it's interesting that older women are to teach or encourage the young women to love their husbands, love their children. And I believe the word their love there is more of the, uh, well, it, it would certainly have their best interest in mind, but it also includes the idea of tender affection, uh, which is a little bit humorous to me because you would you would think like here, here here a woman marries a man okay we're and and has kids okay and okay older women teach those young women to uh love those kids and love that husband and, and the reality is there are times sometimes that we can we're not the easiest people to love uh and there are times that i must admit that children are not the easiest people to love, uh, to love either. Uh, you know, at least I know there are certain animals that eat their children, but we don't. Okay. So that's a, that, 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 that's a good thing. Uh, I think, uh, I, I, Brian, as you get older, what I found is that your dad's voice comes out of you at times because there's going to be moments that your children do something and you go like, what were you thinking? When, when, when we showed up, when we showed up in Florida here, uh, th I, I was putting in some curtain rods and the renters before us or whatever. And I found myself saying things like, what were they thinking? Or, or why did they do that? Why did they do that? Or, or the other one that you always have to be careful on home repairs when you got someone work under your sink and they go, oh, you got one of those. You know, that, that's, that's usually not, that's usually not a good word, but uh, a sign. But not only that, but love your neighbor as yourself. Your children are your neighbor too. And I like something Brian Haynes said is that uh, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is one of the most loving things that you could ever do is teach them about God and prepare them for eternity. And eventually you want them to move from your authority to divine authority so to speak and it, i want you following the father long after i'm gone i want you following the father the true father that's good and uh, yeah those are my thoughts i like uh, this comment from chris kramer uh, proverbs 13 24 whoever spares the rod hates his son but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him and um, one thing i try to hold to i fail sometimes but i try to hold to is the fact that hey i am your parent i am not your friend and uh, i think more parents need to to raise uh, their children that way. Uh, Nick, did you have something you want to add? Yeah, just add on to what Chris said there. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, very parallel to what he brought out in Proverbs 13. Uh, in Hebrews 12, it says there in verse 5, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him for whom the Lord loves. He chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And he will continue on in that very same text to talk about, uh, you know, a father uh, will train his child. And, and so there is that uh, love that a father will have for his son when he is training him in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so uh, discipline, training and love, they're all part of the same uh, same coin there. Yeah. yeah the Go ahead. Brian, the people you love is the people you tell the truth. That's the people you love. You tell mm -hmm. them the truth. I don't generally... Uh ask for the questioner's motives on a question, but I am curious what, what the purpose of this question is. I, I'd love to hear that. But anyway, moving on to our next question. Oh, I got, I got to say this that Chris Kramer just said a little more perspective, uh, Matthew 10 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So yeah, that's, uh, that's something we must all train ourselves to do is to love God more than our children. Next question. Uh, should we incorporate fasting into our prayer life? Also, the church fasted when appointing elders, Acts chapter 14, verse 23. Why don't we do that? Good question. Let's say you right off the bat that you would uh, you don't find any command that says do this all together, that everybody in the groups got to do this together. But everybody should uh, prayer, ha have prayer and fasting. 
And that seems to be an individual choice. There are things going on in my life at a certain time that demands prayer and fasting because it's a serious moment. And then there are joyous times. And, and Jesus talked about the fact that um, I'm still with, with my disciples. Well, this is a joyous occasion for them. It doesn't fit every moment of life to be fasting. This is a happy time. Doesn't fit when you're in a more serious or maybe even a, a, um, a stressful time. Yes. Uh, but it, it doesn't fit every moment of your life. And so you can't come up with a church rule that says, this is what we're going to do. Everybody's going to fast on October the 20th. And that's our fasting day. You, know, you can't do that. That's not what you see in the Bible. It's always, it's always determined by what's going on at the moment of your life. Now, yes, there are big decisions that churches make, like in appointing elders in Acts 13. That's a very serious time. And yes, we should engage in prayer and fasting. But you don't see an announcement that here on such and such date, this is when we're going to pray about elders. Don't do that. We don't have uh, the church saying that. It's that the church was all, all on the same page about the seriousness of this moment. and. Therefore, we're going to uh, we're going to engage in prayer and fasting because that's that's the nature of the moment we're in. Uh, and so I would say, yes, prayer and fasting, prayer and uh, fasting is individual and it's determined by the situation you're in. And it's not an every moment day as a rule. Uh, we are to rejoice in the Lord always. Well, you can't fit fasting and rejoicing in the Lord always uh, in the same uh, same vein of thought. You, you, you kind of have a conflict going on there. Fasting goes with sorrow. Fasting goes with uh, the seriousness of a moment, but it doesn't go with moments of joy and happiness, which should be the main characteristic of the life of the Christian. Those are my thoughts. Nick, what you got? Well, when you go to Matthew 6, uh, verse 16, Jesus says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Uh, so a couple points here. Uh, you know, when we fast, no one should be able to tell that you are fasting. Uh, it, it's a very private thing. In, in many ways, there are examples where you're doing it together with others. Uh, but uh, overall, if we're out there saying, woe is me, I'm fasting, look at me, how pious I am, you're missing the whole point of what fasting is to achieve. Uh, the other point I take out of verse 16, Jesus doesn't say if you fast, he says when you fast. And so there's an expectation there uh, that we as Christians should should come to that point. And, and I look at Jesus in, in uh, Matthew chapter 4 as a great example of, of this fasting in action. Uh, he used fasting to prepare himself uh, for those temptations. Uh, he was led out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days. And then when the tempter came to him, he used food as a temptation. But Jesus had the spiritual strength to be able to deny his body, saying no to turning those stones to bread. And he was able to uh, find his strength, not in his own body, his fleshly body, but in the strength of God. And, and so there is a powerful tool for us as Christians to use fasting in regards to our spiritual strength. Uh, because if I can learn how to control my body, uh, and deny myself that food, which in of itself isn't a sin, but it is a natural urge I have. If I can learn how to control that, then what what other urges can I control? And and so it's it's a, a powerful tool for self control that I usually recommend for people to at least uh, practice and and use. And and when people are asking me questions I'm like, how long is it supposed to be? You know, what am I supposed to abstain from completely? I I tell them that uh, you set your own parameters. Uh, you know, there were uh, there was a young girl who was having open heart surgery. She's about three years old. And and I uh, began to fast from the moment that announcement was made uh, that she was having surgery that week. And I fasted until I got word that she come out of that surgery. Well, uh, and, and so that was just a couple of days. I fasted for seven days. 
And, and then I fasted where I just was only eating raw vegetables uh, and drinking water. I mean, there's different ways that we can uh, create these fasts. And so some people who might have dietary restrictions, such as those who are diabetic or whatnot, uh, you know, speak to your doctor and, and, and find ways that are safe that you still can fast and practice uh, this uh, very powerful tool. And regarding the idea that uh, why don't we do that in regards to appointing elders from by the example of 1423, well, here at Christian Home where I preach, we, we did that very thing. Uh, we appointed an elder uh, in September of 2020. And, and when we were leading up to that appointment, uh, we dedicated that Sunday evening for an hour of prayer. Sometimes churches will do an hour of singing. We decided to take that hour and just do prayer. And so we would go through the whole room like we would for men to lead singing. We went through the whole room for men to lead a prayer. And we dedicated all the prayers for the eldership and the appointment of this specific man to the eldership. And, and uh, the week before I started fasting, uh, or maybe it was Wednesday, Wednesday to Sunday, I, I, I dedicated that time as a period of fasting and prayer leading up to the appointment. And a brother in that congregation, he decided to go along with me on that because he had never fasted before and he was uh, quite interested in it. And so he, he was engaged uh, with it. And uh, that's the first time I had ever fasted alongside a brother. And it was deeply rewarding uh, for him and I uh, both. Uh, and and uh, so it was um, it was a it was a blessing. And then at the end of the service, uh, we appointed the man to the eldership. And then I broke my fast after uh, after services were over. And so, yes, churches are doing that. Uh, and and so uh, maybe uh, why don't we do that? It's not all churches uh, that abstain and some churches do. And and so it really comes back to that personal question. What is it uh, for you? I appreciate that. Um, I like what Brendan here said. Uh, fasting is also helpful in developing the muscle of self-discipline. If you can learn to go without for a time, often you've learned to go without other things. And I do appreciate that. Um, I've done some intermittent fasting before, and I have come to realize, uh, say I did a prolonged fast of, um, I don't know, 24 hours and or 36 hours, and then I go to have that that meal. Man, I appreciate that meal so much more, and I realize uh, just how special that is and the blessings that God has afforded me to have this meal. And by having that, learning that muscle of self-defense or self-discipline that you're talking about. Yeah. If you can, if you can control hunger, then you can control, you control other things. Um, and it's very, uh, I think it's, I think it's powerful when it comes to repentance and, and such as well. So appreciate those practical things there. Anything else guys on that? Uh, Brian, I think uh, Nick made a good point is that be careful sometimes about saying things like, well, no one's doing this or why don't we do, do this? Uh, you really don't know what everyone's doing. And there's a particular with fasting. There's a lot of it that happens behind the scenes and as should as it should be. Um, there's a lot of prayer that happens behind the scenes. Go into your own closet. Don't do it to be seen of men. And so I guess just kind of like, not only that, but I looked at that text again, and it seems the questioner was saying, you know, like, almost like the whole church fasted. I'm not sure in Acts 14, if the whole church is fasting, it looks like to me that you got Paul and Silas and maybe Timothy are fasting and elders are being appointed. But I'm not sure if that passage is saying that every single Christian is fasting there when I just look at the they's of the passage. So just something, just something to consider but um, it's interesting. Fasting is left very unregulated in Scripture. Those are my thoughts. Okay, appreciate that. Uh, if we can help you out anymore, let us know. Uh, some people say that times are too difficult these days, and it is impossible to live an honest life, especially for God, and that people have to survive any way they can. They also want to suggest God understands we cannot live honestly in its entirety. So he, God, won't necessarily hold dishonesty against us. I disagree with their idea of life and God. Well, that's good. <laughs> uh, I am asking for some lessons on this issue. Thank you. You know, I, I just got to so, some people say that times are too difficult these days and it is impossible to live an honest life. If one person can do it, and I know people who do it then it takes away all excuse. 
I mean, just there's no, there's nothing to justify that. Anyway, what you got for us, guys? It's interesting. What it would be interesting to clarify, like, what are you talking about? You can't live an honest life. Specifically, what are you talking about? What are you wanting to lie about? But the idea that times are too difficult, Brian, I hear that, and man, I scratch my head like. The early Christians were imprisoned and yeah. put in the Colosseum and book of Hebrews. People were sawn asunder and still expected to be faithful. And you guys, I don't know. You got pretty good. Is anyone stopping you from attending? Is anyone stopping you from living the Christian life? Is anyone stopping you from meeting on the first day of the week? That sort of thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of puzzled like, times are too difficult there is in a sense that times have kind of never been better as far as prosperity and things like that are concerned so um i I don't know if it's one of those things that it's talking about like that you cannot be honest at your job about letting people know who you are is that what they're talking about Uh, let the chips fall i mean tell you what if you're a worker you're in demand out that out there you you're you're the one calling the shots these days i i know a number of people that are very vocal in their christianity they don't have a trouble finding a job or running a business and things like that or hiring people so that's my thought revelation 21 8 all liars go to hell (laughs) all liars go to hell that seems to kind of help me on that one other thoughts gentlemen i like what brendan said here um Oops, wrong one. Uh, well, I'd take a look at Noah and the world of his day. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Noah was all alone. And everyone rejected God. Anyone else? You know, we might add, Jesus makes it a point that his law is not too difficult. Um, you know, and, and that's one of the cornerstone ideas of the law of Christ, uh, the commandments of Christ that we live under, that Jesus doesn't give commandments that are impossible to perform. Um, we're supposed to accept that by faith. Um, uh, first of all, here's Jesus saying this in in the book of Matthew chapter 11, you know, my burden's easy. Uh, We're supposed to accept by faith that it is possible to accomplish these things. And and that's an important idea because when somebody says, hey, it's just too difficult to accomplish this, they won't accomplish it. Um, That's a that's a characteristic of human behavior. We don't do things we tell ourselves we can't do. And so it's important to understand that, number one, the Bible is going to tell us, hey, it is possible to do what's right. It is it is completely within your ability Uh, to be faithful. God doesn't ask you to do things that are not within your ability to do. So uh, what we want to say is that uh, if God compels us to honesty in our character and our behavior, and and by the way, honesty, that's kind of a broad topic. Uh, We're talking about uh, with our words, we're not lying, that we're, you know, with our labors, we're giving, you know, Ephesians chapter six uh, about, you know, what we owe to those that we work for. There's a lot of ways where honesty is uh, is seen in behavior. And when we follow the Bible's pattern of honesty, it's already been stated, uh, but the world wasn't easier 2000 years ago. Um, there wasn't less sin in the world. And by the way, that's one that I think a lot of people get, uh, get caught up and they think, Oh man, the world's so bad today. It's so much worse. The world's not even worse than it was 50 years ago. Now that's what I think a lot of people believe. Oh yeah. Things are so much worse. No, the, the Bible tells us that things are really pretty much the same constantly. You know, there's there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, and when people go back and, you know, Solomon goes on to say, when people go back looking at the good old days, there really weren't good old days. It's it's just a, a misappropriation of our memory that we think that that's true. The world's no, difficult, no more difficult than any other time. Um, and we might make the point, Brendan already made it, that, you know, there are times where, uh, there are worse circumstances in some ways, and uh, at least it seems that way. So we might consider that as an important point as well. Yeah. You know, I think about the the slaves in the New Testament. I mean, Paul tells them, even with a harsh master, to do the will of the Father. Uh, you want to talk about difficult days and, and, and such. I mean, that's that's a difficult time. I and mean, you you got to serve the Lord wherever you're at, in whatever situation you are at. So yeah. these are people who don't want to do hard things. Yeah. That's what this boils down to. I, I th- Brian, I think you're right. I think it's basically, if you wanted to add something to the question, it would be people say that times are too difficult these days and it's impossible to live an honest life, especially for God, without being persecuted. <laughs> that, you, 
You need to add that if I want to avoid any persecution or hardship as a Christian, then I got to lie. Okay, if that's what you're trying to do, all right. But um, God tells us that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So the real question is, do you want it easy peasy or do you want to live godly in Christ Jesus? That's the real question. Not just that. I mean, if they're not faithful now when even though we, we deal with some nonsense in, in at least in America, in our society, what's it going to be like when the real persecution bloodshed actually comes? If they can't even handle what we're dealing with now, Terry, were you going to say something? Well, I was just going to say that there are times when we may have to go into hiding and uh, somebody might uh, interpret that. Well, you're not being open and honest. Then if you're going into hiding, you're trying to trying to avoid persecution. Well, uh, Jesus knew when to be silent and he knew when to get out of uh, a situation where to go. Uh, so there, that's not being dishonest. Uh, and that's just being, that's being honest about what you're up against right now. You're up against some unnecessary friction and I don't have to make it worse at this moment uh, for myself. Uh, if I have to, I will, but I don't have to answer everybody's question. I can be silent about certain things. So, so I, I think there are cir circumstances, of course, where we want to be protective of our family uh, and our local church. And, and so I'm not going to, uh, to divulge everything I know just because somebody wants to know, especially if I know they have evil purposes in mind for that. So, yeah, Jesus would uh, disappear from a crowd because he knew what they were, what he was uh what they were going to try to do. And he knew that his time was at a, at the Passover. It's got to be just right. So he, he made, made sure he was not taken uh, and executed before the time. And uh, he also did not answer every question. Everybody asked. Sometimes he didn't open his mouth. Uh, so you don't have to divulge everything, especially when you know the motives of those that are asking. All right. Appreciate the uh, question there. Next question. What is Solomon trying to say in Ecclesiastes 7, 16? How could wisdom destroy you? That's a good question. All right. So Ecclesiastes 7, uh, verse 16. Uh, we don't have the Bible pulled up here, our software on here, so I can't read it. Uh, uh, who's got it? Do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Is the quote. And the question is, how could wisdom destroy you? Uh, how could you destroy yourself by being overly wise in this context? Uh, let's back up a few verses here. Verse 15, he says, I've seen all things in my days of vanity. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. And so he then makes the statement, do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp this and also not remove your hand from the other. For he who fears God will escape them all. And then he makes this statement, wisdom strengthens the wise more than 10 rulers of the city. So he, he winds up complimenting. So it sounds to me like he's thinking out loud and he comes to his own conclusion that you don't want to, uh, to put yourself or entrap yourself with too much uh, worldly wisdom. Uh, how could it destroy you? Well, it could bring you uh, great misery because you devoted too much of your energy and your time to probably, in this case, uh, worldly wisdom. It will destroy you. It's not necessarily talking about um, the wisdom of God. Don't, don't try to learn God's wisdom that he's already expressed to us. That's not his point at all. But don't, uh, don't get so involved in one aspect of life, and this is worldly wisdom, to the point that it destroys you. Uh, and I think that was probably more in line with the stall there. 
you know, Brian, I think he's obviously Solomon's not advocating a life of being a lukewarm believer. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. he's not saying that. Just kind of do the comfortable middle, be lukewarm, because Jesus hammers that in Revelation 3. And Solomon notes at the end of the book, what's the whole purpose of man? Fear God and keep his commandments. And that is not lukewarm. To me, overtly or excessively, Brian, I think it's the thought of, there is a type of religion that it's like done to be seen of men. There, there, there's an overconfidence, I think, that he's warning about. There's an arrogance that he's war warning about. I think he's also reminding us and he's warning people like, well, okay, I, 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 I'm going to become a believer so nothing, nothing bad happens to me. Uh, God doesn't promise that. God doesn't promise that. So that that's don't, don't buy into that, okay? Uh, Jesus said, you will be persecuted. Uh, you'll be treated like the true prophets in the Old Testament. So, but but I think the the righteousness and the wisdom there, I mean, you, you cannot be overly wise in a good sense, in the sense of divine wisdom. And so I think that might be more arrogance and overconfidence. And I think the righteousness there is more like of the religiousness type of thing out there, uh, rather than being godly because god doesn't ever put a li limit on being a godly person those are my thoughts would the uh pharisees fall under that category i don't think so i, I think the pharisees now they may have pictured themselves as, as on top of everything but they um, jesus would say don't you let your your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and pharisees uh, Matthew 5, about verse 20. Mm. Your righteousness got to be above that. So if, it, if we've got to exceed that, then their righteousness is way too low. And I think really in the Sermon on the Mount, that's that's his point there about the Pharisees. There's, their righteousness was not at the top. It certainly wasn't excessive. It was way down, and you've got to exceed that. Yeah, but their perspective was definitely they were over-righteous. At least it seems, but all right. Appreciate the question. Next uh, question. Why does the Bible never translate Yahweh? Y-H-W-H. And what about Jehovah? All right. Uh, Brian Hans, what you got for me? Yeah. So back in the book of Exodus, when God is talking to Moses, he says, Moses, here is my name. And it's I am that I am. Um, now, that becomes uh, changed slightly to give it more of a, a personification or a name. And a lot of people think that that might have been pronounced something like Yahweh uh, in that sense. However, God had also said, my name is sacred. One of the Ten Commandments talks about not taking it in vain. And it became a habit of, the, of many of the Jewish writers uh, that rather than writing down the name of God, they might write the word Adonai, which means Lord. Um, over time, as languages changed and it changed through English, um, that that habit of translating the WA became a J and, you know, V and W are interchangeable. So it became Java or as they followed the syllables of the word Adonai, Jehovah. So that's why many Bibles have the word Jehovah instead of Yahweh. It's merely a linguistic uh, variation of pronunciation. It would still be accurate, just like the name Joshua, uh, Jesus, Yeshua uh, moves back and forth throughout the Bible. That's not anything we're too concerned about. Uh, now, the bigger idea is, of course, our translators follow the old Jewish uh, tradition of not putting the word or the name of God in a place. We put the word Lord. Your Bibles give you a good uh, tool by capitalizing the word Lord to let you know whenever that's the case. But what's more important, I think, is the idea that that name is not found anywhere in the New Testament, um, not once. Um, contrary to what Jehovah's Witnesses say in their translation of the Bible, they've actually forced it into the text quite a few times. But the name Jehovah is not ever found in the New Testament. And one of the reasons is Jehovah is also a covenant name. Yahweh is a covenant name. It's the name that God said, this is my covenant name with Israel. Well, we're in a New Testament, a new covenant with God. And the, the new uh, way we address God is not by his name, but as father. Um, it's a fun study. It's an interesting study to go through the Old Testament and look at all the times that God refers to himself as a father. You're going to be surprised at how seldom it is. 
um, and how uh, how often it is not the case that God speaks about himself as father. And then you contrast that with the New Testament, and there's a wonderful surprise to find that, in fact, it, you know, that is the identification that God gives us to him. Which one's better? For me to say, hey, you can know me by my first name, or hey, you can call me dad. Obviously, the, the, the relationship of a father is far better than the relationship of a friend. And that's the promise of the New Testament. So to answer the question briefly, why, what is Yahweh? Why is it rendered as Jehovah? Well, because languages change and, and uh, a lot of times our pronunciations change and that's the case. But secondly, why is Jehovah not in the New Testament? Because it never was. Uh, our relationship with God has changed. Our covenant has changed. And so we have a new way of addressing God as our father. All right. Appreciate it. Anyone else? Covered it well. All right. Going once, going twice, sold. All right. That's our last question for the day. Appreciate all those who sent in questions. And if we didn't get to your question, we will next uh, Wednesday, Lord willing, email us questions at answeringreligiousair.com or private message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash answeringreligiousair. Mark, who you got in your lap today? Bella and Bella said that the Yahweh question was an easy peasy question. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, says I know that. <laughs> Good to be on the show today, Brian. All right, man. Appreciate y'all being on uh, as well. Terry, Mark, Nick, Brian. Any last minute comments before we close out? Well, I, I appreciate the the questions. A lot of them were pretty tough, and I think we got some tough questions coming up next week. So y'all tune back in. Uh, and see us struggle on some of those questions, <laughs> but they're they're good, and I appreciate the audience uh, participating with us by providing those good questions. God bless you all in your study of the Word of God. Amen to that. Uh, one of the things uh, on Older Women, likewise, it's a show that's on Thursdays. Um, I think, uh, well, Mark's wife uh, helps head that up, um, and you can find them on Facebook and, and YouTube. But she'll on the at the end of her show sometimes she'll say things like, you know, go send your questions to over there to answer religious air and try to stomp those guys. And so uh, I think some people might try to do that. I don't, I don't know, but anyway, appreciate y'all being on and uh, looking forward to uh, next, uh, next week. For those at home who are not familiar with our show, we do go live every Wednesday at 12 PM Eastern time for our live Bible Q and a, and you can email us questions at answering religious or private message, message us facebook.com slash answering religious air, as well as uh, check us out on Tuesdays where we have a show that's, currently doing a study of Ecclesiastes. Uh, this upcoming Tuesday will be chapter three. Uh, we've uh, studied chapter one and chapter two, and you can find that on the archived videos on YouTube, as well as uh, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, Tuesday show and Wednesday show is on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter live. And then you can check out the podcast after the show airs. And that is on all major podcast platforms, as well as Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. Eastern time is the Daily Answer with Mark Dunnigan. He was just on the show and uh, we appreciate all the work he puts into that. That is Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. Eastern time. An episode drops where he spends about 15, 20 minutes challenging you for the day, giving you some things to think about, giving you the Daily Answer, something that you need to take with you. As you start your day, we encourage you to check that out. If you cannot find that on podcast, please let us know because we are trying to get it out to all major podcast platforms. so We can spread the word about that. But that's the daily answer with Mark Dunnigan. Then on Thursdays is Older Women Likewise. Again, Mark's uh, wife uh, heads that up. And that is a show for women by women. And you can check them out every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern time on Facebook, YouTube and podcast immediately after the show. Appreciate those who tune in and who send in the questions and the support that you give answering religious air. And that's all the time we have for today. We will see you all next week. God bless.